Welcome to Financial Planning for Entrepreneurs and Tech Professionals. I'm your host, Mike Morton, Certified Financial Planner and Charter Financial Counselor. And today, back to the show is our great friend, Julie. Welcome back. Thank you. It's been a while. I'm excited to be back. Yes, we're so excited to have you. And today's topic was actually brought up by Julie and your husband, Dave, and sent me an email asking um, about this. And so I thought it'd be a good topic for us to discuss together. So today's topic is how the billionaires are avoiding paying taxes. So you may have read this in the news that ultra high net worth folks worth hundreds of millions or billions of dollars don't seem to pay a whole lot in taxes. They're worth so much money. They must make tons of money. They're buying houses and stuff, and but they don't seem to be paying a particularly high percentage of their salaries like most of us are paying 20, 30% of income taxes. And how are they avoiding paying massive amounts of taxes? So you might've seen this in the Wall Street Journal, AP. And so we wanted to talk about how that works and how this might apply to you, even if you're not a gazillionaire. Sounds good. And yeah, I think it was like, they called it the Billionaire Boys Club or something like that. It was a fancy title. I'm sure they'll come up with some Hollywood movie about it, but interesting nonetheless. And also, how did their tax returns get leaked? I don't think that was ever explained, but (laughs) that's something else to think about. Good question. Yeah. And it doesn't surprise me. We're going to get into how this works. Uh, And look, it's more complicated than we're going to be able to explain today. All right. There's some simple math, and that's what I wanted to break down is the idea, at least a big idea of how this happens or how it works. But of course, look, they're following all the rules. They live here in the US. The IRS is auditing these guys. Um, So they're following rules. It's just that the rules are complicated and they have teams of people in place to help them follow the rules appropriately and save as much as possible. Mm -hmm. All right. So let's dive into it. At the bottom line, when I read the reports and dove into it, what it seemed to be is a simple sort of math situation, all right? And so I think that will explain a lot of how this works. So let's take a look at the current environment between borrowing and investing. So you can borrow money right now. Julie, you might have a, a mortgage. Of course. And it's pretty low percent, mm-hmm. right? 3% right around there, maybe plus or minus a little bit. So you could borrow a couple hundred thousand dollars and pay 3% interest. Mm-hmm. All right. Not too bad. Pretty good. Now the stock market, if you're going to invest money into the market, the, the historical returns of stock markets are around eight to 10% a year. Now, of course, some years they go up 20 or 30%. Some years they go down 10 to 20%. But on average, if you take a 40 year, all right, not even maybe 10 years, but maybe 20, 30, 40 years, the historical returns are 8 to 10%. So Julie, if I can borrow 200000 at 3% and invest that 200000 at 8 to 10%, I'm literally making money year in and year out. Yes, that's a no-brainer. And that's the biggest thing that's going on here, okay. all right, is that we can borrow lots of money at a very small interest rate. And keep our other money or that money, keep our other money invested in the market and be making more. Sorry, I was just thinking, how yeah, would that no, translate to a tax return though? Okay, we're going to get to tax returns in a minute. Okay. I, I just want to go over a simple example of how assets are growing faster. Mm-hmm. 
than debts. So I'm a entrepreneur. I happen to sell my company. I got 200 million of stock. I didn't sell it. I transferred into a stock of a public company. So I'm worth 200 million of stock that I own. Okay. And this year that grows at 10%, 10% kind of year in and year out. So my net worth, the amount I made, quote unquote, it's on paper is $20 million. Okay. $20 million. So if I want to live pretty nicely, I could borrow $5 million. I could have living expenses this year of 5 million for whatever it is that I want to do and enjoy spending 5 million this year. So my net worth just grew by 15 million. I made 20 million of unrealized paper gains. The bank says, sure, we'll lend you $5 million and you can spend that. So my net for this year is actually growing by $15 million. And that's how you could see that I didn't really make any income in that simple example. I just borrowed 5 million for my living expenses. The bank said, no problem. You're worth 200 million. We'll give you 5 million. And yet that 200 million grew. So again, my assets are outgrowing my debts. They're going faster than my debts. And therefore on paper, I'm worth more. I had an increase in value and yet I didn't have to make any income and I could spend $5 million just living the way I wanted to. Which is all well and good if you have $200 million. <laughs> Correct. That's the thing. That's, but that's how these got one of, again, simplified version mm -hmm. okay, of the story. But that's the big thing here is how we can do this. This is called buy, borrow, and die. <laughs> that's the strategy here for the billionaires. Buy, borrow, and die. And we'll get to, we'll get to the die part a little bit later. I'm sure there'll be questions like, wait, how does this actually work? Okay. But let's get back. And so that's a simple example. We're going to borrow. Remember our assets are growing faster than our debts. And normally I said 10%. Look, people in this billionaires club, their net worth is growing faster than 10%. Amazon or Google or Facebook, these companies have been going up for 10, 20 years yeah. faster than 10%. So these are the entrepreneurs that are in the news that people tend to talk about. Okay. Now let's see how this translates to us regular folk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So let's get back to your question around. All right. So how are they not paying taxes? All right. So remember that taxes, we pay taxes on our income mm -hmm. and realized gains, capital gains. Yep. All right. So when you sell that stock in order to buy something, Hey, I want to sell some stock um, to purchase something. Then, you know, you had a growth in that stock you're going to pay. So that's how you pay taxes from income from capital gains are the two major sources. So let's take a simple example. You and I are entrepreneur, professional out there, make say $300,000 in a year. We're gonna spend about a third of that in taxes, maybe 90,000 is about a third of your income. And you're gonna spend the other 200,000 to live your life. Got a couple of kids, got a mortgage, we're gonna spend that money. So we spend about 30% of our income on taxes. Mm -hmm. All right. Let's take my previous example. I'm worth 200 million. I'm going to pay myself a salary of 500,000. I'm going to spend in taxes about 35% of that, close to a couple hundred thousand, same as you, a little bit more than 30% in taxes. All right. But I'm going to borrow that 5 million. Okay. To, to live the way I want to live and borrow the 5 million. And again, my net worth goes up so I can borrow that. No problem. I'm worth more at the end of the day. So the headlines read, Julie, Mike only pays less than 200,000 in taxes, but he's worth over $215 million, okay? My net worth grew by 15 million, and yet I only paid under 200,000 in taxes or less than 1% of how much I'm worth mm -hmm. or how much my worth grew this year. So less than 1% was paid in taxes. 
whereas you paid 30%. Yeah. <sighs> Unfair. <laughs> <laughs> because I was able to borrow so much money, yeah. right? Because my assets are growing significantly fast, fast 10%. Mm -hmm. And so I borrow money to live. Now you're also paying taxes on that $15 million gain. No, because I did not sell it. My net worth grew by 20 million. My stock went up by 10%, but I didn't sell that stock. Instead, I borrowed money. Got it. All right. But I'm seeing that this is where the die part comes in because at some point you're going to sell, which means at some point you're going to pay those taxes or at some point you're going to have a lot of debt. You're going to have a lot of value. Yeah. That 200 million grew to 400 million or potentially a billion. And your debt grew from the 5 million I borrowed to 10 million to 100 million, 200 million that I borrowed. So yeah, you're going to have a lot of debt, but you're going to have significantly more assets. And when you die, you have to unwind all these things, right? Like you said, you have eventually have to pay. All right, but let's talk about that um, for a minute. Hold on. Let's back up really yeah. quick, just because you talked about you're borrowing all this money. You have to make payments on it. If you're only paying yourself a $500,000 salary, but you've taken out a $5 million loan, your monthly payment is even at minimum a large chunk of cash. So where is that cash yep. coming from? First of all, if you have over, say, $100 million, guess what your rates are for borrowing? Less than 1%. Ugh. Why? Because that bank really wants your $100 million sitting at their bank. Right. Because right? they're going to make almost fees zero risk. and other stuff. They're helping you. They're part of the team. You're paying them salaries and all kinds of stuff. So they're like, sure, we'll lend you at less than 1%. Current rates we know are like zero, right? So they can borrow for less than 1%. These are interest only loans. So you're only paying interest. It's not like your mortgage over 15 or 30 years where you're paying principal and mortgage. And they mostly don't pay back the interest. They just let it accrue. All right. So the 5 million goes up to 5.5 million of borrowing by the end of the year. Just let that 1% add on to the debt. Because again, hey, my net worth went up by 10, 20%. My, my debt can go up by 1%. No problem. Bank says, no problem. <laughs> you want How much more do you want to borrow? Mm -hmm. But at what point um, does the bank say, we need some money back? <laughs> only when you get to 30 to 50% of your net assets. So you can borrow up to, you know, if you have 100 million, you could borrow up to 50 million. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Now that's true for all of us. Yeah. You can have margin. You can allow to borrow based on your stock portfolio. If you have 500,000, you could borrow, you know, up to a couple hundred thousand almost mm -hmm. and invest that. Now it gets risky if you're close to that edge, that 40% borrowing. If I have 500,000, I borrow 200,000. So my investments are now 700,000 in the market and the market goes down by 20%. We start getting in trouble. Yep. And that, okay. okay, so that's, I'm going to let you move on because I know so that this thing. is, uh, the, my next question is going to be, so for those of us who aren't $200 million in the green, that we could use this strategy, but the risk is much higher for us. And right now where we it. talked about in your most recent newsletter about bubbles and is the market in a bubble right now and bubbles pop. Right. We don't know when, but we know they pop. So that's right. That's, that's right. the risk. Yep. And before we move on, so we got a couple of things we need to talk about. One is when you die, what happens then? What are the risks? How does this apply to the to the rest of us? Okay. But if you really want to be kicked, Julie, did you know that the interest, you mentioned the interest that uh, you have to pay on that $5 million, that's actually tax deductible. 
So I told you I was paying almost two two hundred thousand in in taxes on my five hundred thousand salary. I'm probably paying nothing because I owe so much. Um, I could just take it off my taxes. <sighs> oh, to be uh, ultra wealthy. <laughs> All right. All right. So before we get to to you and I, how this how we may apply this or how we can't, let's talk about the die part. Okay. So buy, borrow, die. All right. Remember, my net worth is growing faster than my debts. So by the time I pass away, I do have a massive estate, even though I have you know a large quantity of debt as well. That needs to be unwound. This is where teams of people come in, and I'm not going to really spend time on this because I'm not an expert. But realize that there's ways of doing the best you can to save on taxes. All right. So in other words, the last 10 to 20 years of my life, as I look at my assets and debt, I try to start unwinding these things in very tax efficient ways. I start giving things away to my heirs, where they're going to go. I get it out of my estate. I could pay life insurance comes in here. And this is very typical, even people 10, 20 million using life insurance, not selling the assets. Okay. So I'm, I've got 20 million of stock that's really grown. I started my own company or whatever it is, or I just had a great investments that really did well. I don't want to sell that and pay the tax gains. All right. I'm going to get life insurance. And when I die, I'm going to pay my estate taxes with the life insurance. So you have to pay the premiums for the life insurance, of course, but that's a way more tax efficient manner. The reason this works in today's environment, Julie, is because of the step up basis. When I pass away and I've got 20 million or 200 million of assets that have grown significantly that I never sold and I never paid capital gains on, they pass to you, Julie, and you get them at face value and you don't have to pay any taxes on those gains. Because I didn't, I wasn't holding them as they gained. That's right. This is called the step-up basis mm-hmm. at death. When you inherit something that has a gain built in, you do not have to pay taxes on that gain. You get it. If it's worth $20 million today, I paid $1 million. It's worth $20 million. This is an apartment building or it could be a stock. I paid $1 million 20 years ago. Now it's worth $20 million. If I sell it before I die, I have to pay capital gains of $19 million. If I die and give it to you, you get it at $20 million and it's worth $20 million. So if you sold it the next day, you wouldn't pay anything in capital gains. So we avoid capital gains at death with the step-up basis. And that's one major strategy for passing on wealth. Okay. But you can only do that upon death. You can't just gift it to your heir. That's correct. While you're alive. That's correct. Okay. Yeah. Now the gifting, of course, I mentioned, you know, last 10 or 20 years of my life, I might be gifting things. That's to avoid estate taxes. And again, there's super complicated strategies for how to do that. And then you hold on to it until your death or pass it on again. So anyway. And how does the debt uh, work upon death? The debt needs to be paid off. Okay. And that's where insurances or other things are going to come in and, and pay off those debts. Okay. That's interesting. When I used to work in higher ed financial aid, we always recommended to our students that they never consolidate their loans when they get married with their significant other because student debt, when you pass away, is eliminated unless you've consolidated with the surviving borrower. So just anecdotal note. (laughs) Yeah, no. And I'll say this, actually, debts don't have to be paid off if there's nothing left in the estate. If you die with 500,000 of debt, but you have no money, those lenders are out of luck. You didn't have any money. Yeah. It's not, that doesn't, the, as the same as your student debt, it does not pass on to an heir. 
It's just if the estate has money, of course, the estate owes those creditors, those lenders. Okay. So how might this apply to you and me? You think we can take advantage of any of these strategies? On a small scale, I would think perhaps a home equity line of credit or... However, the risk is much higher for us. So you, you've highlighted one one problem <laughs> that the normal folk have is that if I don't have hundreds of millions and um, seeing those grow. So again, if I have a couple hundred million and I borrow 20, 30, 40 million, that's only still 10, 20% of my total net worth. So that seems pretty reasonable. Okay. In other words, let me translate into you and I are already doing this. How are we doing it? Our mortgage, all right? You have a house worth a million, you borrow 600,000 and you're slowly paying that back. So you've got a bunch of debt, 600,000 that you borrowed. I'm guessing, Julie, you also have some investments in the stock market, your 401k, your individual retirement accounts, a brokerage account. So you have a large debt and you have an investment in the stock market. So you've borrowed money and you've invested money. So we're doing the same thing already. Mm -hmm. But when you start scaling it up, Okay, we just don't have the capacity to take on more risk typically because we're already maybe at that 40% ratio mm -hmm. of borrowing versus how much you're worth. Yep. All right. So, simple example if we have a million dollar home, okay, nice home, and we have 750000 of mortgage to help cover that. Okay, so we have two hundred and fifty thousand of equity in our seven in our one million dollar home, and also in our we've been working for a couple of decades, and so we've got some good portfolio built up, another seven hundred fifty thousand. So our debt, the seven hundred fifty thousand of debt, to maybe two million dollars of total assets, we might be borrowing maybe forty percent debt to asset. In my other examples, if I'm worth two hundred million, I could borrow up to. $80 million to reach that 40%. So I'm probably not borrowing quite that much. But even if I was, if my net assets, again, grow by that 10%, I can borrow another five, $8 million, right. no problem, and still stay under those thresholds. So okay. one quick, this all makes complete sense and why it's more beneficial if you are ultra wealthy versus, I don't, I don't want to say normal wealthy, average wealth, I guess. Yeah. However, yeah. there might be some people who are thinking, okay, I bought my house X number of years ago for, let's say, $350,000. Market has shot up significantly since then. Maybe you bought your house right after the housing crash, right? And now your house is worth $750, $850. And you didn't borrow all 350,000 when you bought it. So say you only owe 200 now. You have a much larger debt to asset, asset. ratio. Mm -hmm. Would it make sense then to borrow against some of your asset to invest? So this gets into the psychology portion, all right? <clears throat> and most people like to not have too much debt, especially as in your example 20 years, maybe you're getting closer to retirement age. You're almost paid off that mortgage. Many people like to not have that mortgage and not have those required payments. Sure. It feels more flexible. Okay. Now we're getting to the point that maybe you don't have as much flexibility in your human capital. In other words, changing jobs, taking on that new job, moving somewhere else for something. Hey, we're getting towards the end. I just want to enjoy my time. 
So you feel like you have less flexibility in the human capital. And so by not having as much debt feels like more flexibility in your retirement or getting close to retirement or whatever it is for your time. I know so many stories. So this is the numbers game versus psychology. The numbers game says exactly what you said, Julie. If I can borrow at 3% and make 8 to 10%, I should do that year in and year out. I should do that all day long. But the psychology is I don't want the I don't want the risk. I want the sleep at night. I don't want to have to worry about what when it goes down 10% versus going up 20%. Who knows what the averages are going to be going forward? That's what they were historically. So there are so many stories that people have paid off their mortgage, really aggressively paid down the mortgage. And when you finally don't have a mortgage payment, it just feels so good. I was speaking with someone the other day that paid off all their student debts. They had aggressively paid them down. And when they reached that point, oh, it just felt so good. And it was wonderful. You could see the look on her face. Oh, it just felt really great. My reaction as a financial advisor, oh, I wish you hadn't paid them down so aggressively and it invested more in your retirement funds yeah. at the same time, you know, pay them down less aggressively. Yeah. So that's the psychology that most people aren't ready, willing to take on that risk. They just don't want to. And there's nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. All right. Because it's your life. I want you to feel great about where you are and what's coming next. Yep. All right. But to your point, yes, that's the numbers game that you would borrow all day long at two or 3% and invest into the market. Now, there's some people that can do that, that can, you know, have the psychology makeup to say, oh, yeah, let's um, go ahead and borrow some money. And one thing I would throw out there is right now, we just had a podcast and newsletter about this be defensive. Now's the time for not borrowing a ton of money, investing it. Now's maybe not the best time for doing that. But I would be ready. I would have a HELOC ready, potentially refinance. If you're in a situation that you can get a lower interest rate, take some money out potentially and keep that money, be ready. Because if the stock market goes down 20, 30, 40%, that's when it's on sale. Okay. And that's when you can feel more confident, depending on your situation, whether you're working, retirement, how you're feeling, all of that about investing more into the market. Mm -hmm. So I think back March, 2020, when it was down 30%, 20, 30%. If you had done that, of course, that's looking backwards. We never know what's going to happen. But if you had done that, you would have made 40, 50% on your money easily from, from even if you didn't buy at the absolute bottom, just because it's come roaring back. Now, that doesn't always happen. So I'm not suggesting to run out and do that. But in terms of being defensive and being ready, now's the time for taking a look at where you might be able to have cash reserves, borrow money, if you want, if you want to be ready for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's... Great advice. Anything else that we haven't covered in terms of this topic? No, I think you did a great job of explaining how it works, why it works, and for whom it works best. <laughs> yeah. Like we just talked about, that's in this final little segment is about how to do it, borrow money to invest money. Unfortunately, most of us just aren't ready to bridge that gap. If I have a couple hundred million and I'm only borrowing 20 or 30 million, I feel very comfortable borrowing more. It's such a small percentage that I feel comfortable bridging the gap of a five-year down market. That's what I'm talking about in terms of bridging that gap, having the psychology to say, no, nah, we'll be okay because I can withstand the law of averages the more I have mm. available. So yeah. Excellent, Julie. I really love the question and this has been great. Me too. Same. All right. We'll catch you next All time. All right. See you later. Cheers. Thanks for joining us on Financial Planning for Entrepreneurs. 
If you like what you heard, please subscribe to and rate the podcast on Apple iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can connect with me at LinkedIn or MortonFinancialAdvice.com. I'd love to get your feedback. If you have a comment or question, please email me at financialplanningpod at gmail.com. Until next time, thanks for tuning in. This recording is for informational purposes only and should not be considered for investment advice. Opinions expressed as are of the date of recording. Such opinions are subject to change. We do not guarantee the accuracy or completeness of the data presented here.